Thank you for traveling with Amex Platinum. To your right, you'll see Oceanside Relaxation at a fine hotel and resort property. When booked through Amex Travel, you can enjoy complimentary breakfast for 2 and 4 p.m. late checkout. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. You need parts? O'Reilly Auto Parts has parts. Need them fast? We've got fast. No matter what you need, we have thousands of professional parts people doing their part to make sure you have it. Product availability. Just one part that makes O'Reilly stand apart. The professional parts people. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Auto Parts. The secret to catching prize-worthy fish? Fishing like a local. Jonas Knox here with Fishing Booker. The valuable knowledge of a local guide can turn a fishing trip of no bites into the best catch of the day. Go to fishingbooker.com to discover thousands of local fishing charters from all around the world and create your perfect angling adventure with their easy-to-use online booking system. Visit fishingbooker.com and book your trip today. Fishing Booker. Fishing trips made easy. At Bed 365 we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment. It's never ordinary at Bed 365 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. <laughs> This is the best of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis on Fox Sports Radio. Dan Orlovsky uh, joining us now. He played quarterback in the NFL for 12 seasons, I believe. He's been breaking down the drama surrounding the decision of who to be drafted, where they're going to be drafted, whether it's going to be Josh Rosen, whether it's going to be Sam Darnold, whether it's going to be Josh Allen, Baker Mayfield, all of the drama there. When you saw, Dan, the story about what Jim Mora had said, were you surprised? Because most coaches in this situation just come out immediately and say, I think my guy is the best. He seemed to him and Hall around that. And then ultimately, I think he came out yesterday afternoon and said, hey, hey, wait, whatever. Josh Rosen should be the overall number one pick. Does this stuff matter, what your head coach says about you? Could this factor in in any way in the decision process? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I think it depends on, you know, what your front office or your team, how they view Jim Mora, you know, their relationship with him and, and how much they respect his opinion. It, it, for me, it just, I think Jim Mora looks really bad because he's kind of flip-flopped a little bit. Mora just seems like one of those coaches that, you know, three or four years ago got Josh Rosen to commit to his program and he kind of had the expectation, okay, here we go. I've got this stud quarterback. We've got a good bunch of good recruits. You know, I'm good. I've got to have a job at UCLA for a long time, and it didn't work out that way. And so I think he's, you know, there's a little bit of bitterness there to me. So I, I there's going to be some team that values what he says or, or weighs what he says, and, and it's going to affect the way that they view Josh Rosen, unfortunately, because I just it, it doesn't match up with what the tape or what Josh Rosen kind of puts out there when he speaks himself. Yeah, and so what would you have thought? I mean, you came out of UConn, I believe. And you weren't like at the very top of draft boards, but if you had heard that your head coach at the time was doing anything other than giving you a full-throated endorsement, and maybe he didn't, I don't know what your situation was, 
what would you have thought and or what happened with you as you went through the draft process? What kind of feedback were you getting based on what your coaches were saying from UConn? Yeah, so my, my experience with my coach was pretty good. You know, I, my coach had, had my back, and, and I was super appreciative of that. If I was Josh Rosen, I'd be sitting there going, wait, first of all, I committed to UCLA and you as my head coach to come to play for your program. And then if you watch over the last three years, he's taken an absolute beating behind that offensive line. You brought in three offensive coordinators for me. I've given you everything I had as a player. Like, Jim Moore, as a coach, you cannot have asked anything more out of me as Josh Rosen. I've gave you everything I've, I've, I could. I've represented our university well. And then you're going to just try and go bash me? Like, where – as a player, how do you go, well, this coach had my back. You know, as a coach, you're always supposed to support your players and have, you know, have their backs and be there for them and, and be their biggest fan or encourager. And now to go out nationally and kind of bash them, it's like if I was Josh Rosen, I'd go, wait, 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 this, this isn't the guy who recruited me. This isn't the guy who convinced me, you know, in sitting in my living room to come play for you. This isn't the guy that I got my head beat in for three years playing quarterback for you to try to win some games playing while I was banged up and whatnot. So if I was Josh Rosen, I'd have – real real issues with you know how Moore has gone about handling this for me yesterday Jim Mora put out this tweet along with this previous video I'm hopeful this will put an end to the false narrative I believe that JR meaning Josh Rosen is not only the best quarterback in the draft but also the best player in this draft I've been clear consistent and only complimentary towards the good man and then he tags him at Josh Rosen it's not really true. I mean, I understand that you're trying to combat the, quote, false narrative. You can't say something as a false narrative when you create it with your own words. Um, does this – so it's an interesting statement that he made. It seemed like in some way he was trying to di- divorce red state, blue state. Like, oh, Sam Darnold would be a great fit for the Cleveland Browns, but Josh Rosen would really fit in better – on the East Coast with the Giants. I'm curious on this. We talked about it a little bit yesterday, and we're talking with Dan Orlovsky, 12-year NFL veteran. Can you think of a quarterback that went to a situation and ended up not being a success that if he had gone to a better situation, he would have been a success? In other words, how much does fit matter when it comes to becoming really good in the NFL? I don't mean just like okay, mediocre. I mean, if Aaron Rodgers hadn't gone to the Packers and he had gone to any other team in the NFL, is it possible that Aaron Rodgers never becomes good or Russell Wilson or Cam Newton or any of the guys that are kind of in the upper echelon, the Matt Ryans, the Drew Breeses of the world? Maybe Drew Brees is an interesting answer because he wasn't necessarily great until he got to New Orleans. How much does fit actually matter when it comes to being a great quarterback? No, I think fit is huge. I really do. I think that, you know... It's it's the it's the example of if you could take a, a good player and put him with good players around him and then a good coach, he goes to the next level. Now, when you're talking about guys that are generational talents and some of the greatest of the game, you know, Aaron Rodgers and Drew Brees, like you had mentioned, I don't necessarily think that that was going to be the determination whether those guys are going to become great players or Hall of Fame caliber players because they are so special. I mean, the reality is Green Bay doesn't have this intricate offense that Mike McCarthy – you know, dials up incredible plays. Rodgers kind of makes very simple plays work. You know, the same with Drew Brees. They don't, the Saints don't have this incredible scheme that no one else runs in the NFL. I mean, Brees makes it run as efficiently as he does. I can't think of a guy that 
you look at and go, wow, if, if he had gone here, he would have gone from not good to really good or, or bust to a pretty good player. So, you know, fit matters, you know, but I think it matters in taking guys who are good and getting them to great levels. So, you know, I, the whole, you know, Josh Rosen fits here, or Sam Darnold fits there. You, the, the slippery slope with that is what happens if your coach that he fits scheme-wise decides to leave? What happens if Todd Haley leaves in two years from Cleveland? Is Sam Darnold no longer the future if you take him at number one? So the fit thing sometimes, you have to get coaches that fit your players rather than players that fit your coaches. Yesterday we were talking about this stat that was put together for us in the Wall Street Journal, and I'm going to give this to you. I don't know if you've heard it before. Uh, The difference between being a top five pick in the draft at quarterback and just being drafted in the first round in general. If you are a top five pick, uh, this is since 2000, there have been 22 quarterbacks drafted top five overall. 14 of those 22 have made the Pro Bowl. Their touchdown to interception ratio is 1.27 to 1. And their their, their starts 74 games. If you are drafted 6 to 32, there are 26 of those guys. Only four of them have ever made the Pro Bowl. And their touchdown to interception ratio is basically even. Does it surprise you that there's that much of a drop-off between being a top five quarterback selected and being drafted still in the first round, but in the six to thirty second position, not really. You know, I think that the reality is, and I've said this a couple times over the past few months. On average, every year we have ten pretty good to really good to great quarterbacks in the NFL. So to think that we're going to have four every draft class, and that guys are going to get drafted eighteenth or twentieth, and that he's their fourth or third or fourth guy in the first round and that he's going to be really good, we're kidding ourselves. Statistically, there's just not that many people in the world that are really good at playing that position. So, you know, if you can get one guy every draft class, one and a half guys every draft class that end up being good players to really good players at that position in the NFL, they're going to, they're, those picks are going to happen in the top five picks just because you can't – the teams that are picking there are picking off of need. We have a need at the position. That's why we're bad. And – that those are the guys that you value at that pick. Those are the guys that are your franchise changers. The, there's just there, it, there's not that many really good quarterbacks going around. So to think that we're going to get more of them, and the, you know that's why everyone who talks about Cleveland, you know what maybe they can trade back into the back end of the first round or early second round and take their quarterback. The success rate of that happening is is so minuscule that it's pointless. It's it's a waste of a pick. Take the quarterback that you like early on because the, the stats say they don't transpire to be good players in the NFL because it's hard to play that position. Josh Allen, you were not a fan of uh, the last time we talked. Has anything you've seen from Josh Allen, Pro Day, any of the reports you've heard about how he's interacting with teams changed that or are you still not a believer in Josh Allen? Yeah, I'm still not. It's probably a little bit less than it was. You know, I think the the accuracy thing is overblown for sure because if you watch this, I mean, people talk like the ball is flying all over the football field on his tape. That's not the case. But there's two things that stand out for me that are alarming. You know, the first thing is he does some stuff when you watch his film and he'll get to the line of scrimmage and he'll communicate with his offensive line. It looks like he's changing the protection or something. And then the ball gets snapped and it looks like he gets surprised that the defense is allowed to move. Like guys will blitz and He'll have no awareness of, oh, wow, this, this guy's blitzing. And 
So it seems to me like there's no plan when he breaks the huddle. There's no process of, okay, what's my, what's the bad that can happen to me on this play? And that's alarming to me because once you get to the NFL, it's harder and it's more intricate and defenses throw more at you and it happens faster. And if you don't, if you can't show me that in college, I've got concerns about your ability to do that in the NFL. And then, you know, when I watched the combine, you know, I just saw he's, he was staring at his receivers every three throw he made. So I went back and watched his tape, and again, he stares down receivers, and it leads to you know, some forced throws. It leads to some accuracy issues, but it really leads to picks. And again, that's something in the NFL that doesn't get easier because we're, you're getting more thrown at you, and again, it's happening faster. So those are two things that I haven't found a quarterback that I, again, point to you know their career and I go, you know what, this guy – had really bad eyes coming out of school and he got better at it. Or this guy really struggled to process stuff or seemed to kind of be a little bit unaware of what was going on and he got better at it in the NFL. Those are the two things for me that when I look at Josh Allen, I go, uh-uh, that, that's, that's something that I don't think I can necessarily fix right now other than you know the accuracy issues that people do talk about. Lamar Jackson got a 13 on the Wonderlick. Um, the Wonderlick for people out there who don't know, 50-question test that you have 12 minutes to complete. Everybody takes it at the NFL Combine. You took it. I'm going to ask you about that in a moment. But if you look in the last 25 years, the average quarterback has scored over 30 who has gone on to win a Super Bowl. Would you be alarmed if you were a team and saw Lamar Jackson scored a 13 and what was your experience like taking the Wonderlick? Take us into that room. Yeah, I would be alarmed. You know, I think that you have to look at the extremes. You know, if a guy gets 45, 48, 50, you go, okay, you know, this, this is something that we can work with because he's got, you know, some traits that are, you know, really undeniable. And then the vice versa. If you're getting a single digit or a 10, then again, I got to go, wait, this this doesn't bode well for your ability to, you know, think and process and handle all that stuff. So I would be alarmed by. It. Other than that, why would you? Why would you administer the test? Why would you put any value in it if you're not going to listen to the results? You know, we, it's the same thing that we talk about with tape. If you're not going to value the tape that you watch to, to looking at a prospect, then why would you not value the the test results as well? You know, my my experience, I was pretty confident going into the Wonderlick because you know I didn't I didn't necessarily stress the. The thinking ability, I remember Fitzpatrick, Ryan Fitzpatrick was in my class, and he, him scoring a 50, he got done with the test in like eight minutes. <laughs> eight, excuse me, eight minutes. And I just remember sitting there going, wait, what's going on? I, I finished like 44 questions, I want to say, or whatnot, and I think I maybe scored a 30, somewhere around there. So, you know, we were so prepped. My agent, we took so many kind of mock wonderlick tests that we had a pretty good idea of what kind of questions were coming, how to kind of work our way through them if we didn't necessarily know and, and whatnot. So I didn't stress the Wonderlick, but if I was a team and I was you know looking at investing this much into it, that important of a position, I would certainly have to go, wait, this is something that we've got to really look into more than you know overlooking. Doesn't it also factor in, you mentioned that you prepared for the Wonderlick because the people advising you said, hey, this is something that is going to matter in the same way that I'm sure you prepared for your pro day and you prepared for the throws you were going to make at the combine and also probably for running the 40, even though it doesn't really matter that much. It's about being aware of what you need to prepare for. Isn't the fact that Lamar Jackson, assuming that the accurate reports are that he scored a 13, to put that into context for people out there, the average janitor would score a 14. We're talking about borderline literacy level score for Lamar Jackson. 
isn't that a huge indictment of his advisors if they let him roll in, much like Vince Young, who supposedly scored like a six the first time he took it and then retook it and also didn't score very well? Isn't that an indictment of his preparation? What in the world, and I think his mom is repping him, but what in the world or advice are you actually getting that's helping you? Yeah, it's unique because, you know, kind of the, the storyline or around him right now is, you know, changing somewhat of the narrative, you know, not running the 40, not doing a ton of the drills, how he ran his pro day. He's trying to change this narrative. Well, I am a quarterback, you know, and so I, I don't want to be the athlete that everyone's viewing me as. And so, you know, as much as he's put into that, the the fact that they, the Wonderlick score is what it is, and it seems like it was maybe overlooked because if it – it's two things, right? It's either it was overlooked and, and not prepped as much, or there's a, there's a legit issue there, and there's a legit ability to you know go through that process. Because at the end of the day, we necessarily can't run from that. You know, there is value in it. Teams value it differently, but there is value in it. So it's something, yeah, you have to look into and go. Wait, if you're trying to change this narrative and, and present yourself as this quarterback, and I know he's a little different because his extreme athletic ability. If you're trying to do that, then some things aren't matching up with some other stuff. Do you think that the number one overall pick will be Sam Darnold to the Browns? And if you do, are you with me that the linchpin here is what are the Giants going to do with the second pick? If you were doing your own mock draft based on everything you know and everything you know about these teams, how do you see kind of the beginning of the draft breaking out in particular between the Browns and the Giants? Yeah, I think Sam Darnold should be the runaway number one pick. I don't even think it's close. I mean, again, the, the draft is about projection, but the, the NFL is about production. And there's no way that you can sit there and tell me Josh Allen is going to be more productive than Sam Darnold in the NFL. It's just there's there's no reason for me to think that just because he could throw the ball far. So I think Darnold won. You know, the Giants, at two is so intriguing because I look at it as <clears throat> if I'm the Giants, and I do want to sign Odell Beckham long-term, like I want him in my organization, I feel like I have to take Josh Rosen because eventually i got to have to take, pay Odell in the next 12 months. And it's going to be way easier for me to go to Odell and go, hey, listen, uh, we're, we're, we're in this market. You know, this helps your brand staying here. And we just drafted this really good young quarterback that's going to throw you the ball for the next decade because that's what receivers want. Receivers want money and they want attention. The only way you get attention is the ball gets thrown to you. And if you're Odell and you don't have a quarterback because Eli's done in a year or two, you're going to go, wait, well, who's going to throw me the ball? You know, and so I, that's going to be a hesitancy on my end to go sign there. So I think you have to take Rosen for that's part of it. And the, the opportunity to set yourself up is at, at that position because then you're ahead of so many other teams who don't have quarterback. But I do think I think there's going to be teams that are going to call the Giants and, you know, offer a boatload because at the end of the day, Again, like we had talked about previous, there's not that many guys that can play that position. And Josh Rosen displays a lot of the things you look for in a franchise quarterback. And if you're a team that's looking for one and you fall in love with them, you know, like Philadelphia did a couple years ago, you've got to go make a move. So I think that it's going to be interesting to see how the Giants kind of go ahead and, you know, make their decision because Gettleman is not in Carolina, partly because he let Josh Norman walk star walk is he going to do the same with Odell or did he learn so that'll be interesting for me we're talking to Dan Orlovsky what would you do with Odell you've played with a lot of different receivers over your 12-year NFL career 
Calvin Johnson was up with you in the Detroit Lions. You played with a Hall of Fame wide receiver. What's Odell's value if you were a GM having played in this modern era of the NFL? Is any receiver worth $20 million a year? How do you factor in off-field behavior, in-meeting behavior, and everything else when it comes to who you give that money to? Yeah, I would I would keep Odell. You know, I I don't want to keep continuously harping on this this narrative at this point, but there's how many guys in the NFL are like him? How many guys can honestly say that you can throw him a five yard pass and at any moment it's going the distance? I mean, he's a flat out game changer. And everything you do hear about him as a teammate from coaches and players, they love the way he practices. That doesn't change. You don't change that in a guy. They love the way he competes. Now, does he need to mature and handle some stuff better? Yeah, absolutely. But that can happen. I, I, I just I can't imagine as an organization me looking at this guy and go, wow, he's one of the best three at his position in the NFL and probably a top 15 player, but we're going to let him walk. I just I can't imagine that. And, and a lot of people go, well, you know, you don't need a superstar receiver to go play, you know, win a Super Bowl and look at the teams who have done it without him. Yeah, but at the same time, look at the teams who who didn't have who who did have a superstar receiver and were able to benefit that. You don't think Ben Roethlisberger loved having Antonio Brown when they went and go won the Super Bowl? You know, so for me, Odell is such a difference maker, such a transcendent talent that you can't be Washington, you can't be the Redskins and handle it so poorly that you let your franchise quarterback walk out the door for. New York, you can't let Odell walk out the door because you're not going to go find Odell. If Odell was coming out of the draft right now, he'd be the number one pick. He'd be the number one pick. So if, if, if that's the case, you figure out a way to keep him in your organization because you can do it financially, especially if you take a young quarterback at number two. Outstanding stuff as always. He's Dan Orlovsky. You can follow him on Twitter at uh, – tell me the Twitter handle again. Uh, Dan Orlovsky, number seven. Dan Orlovsky, number seven. Be sure to catch live editions of Outkick, the coverage with Clay Travis weekdays at 6 a.m. Eastern, 3 a.m. Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. He joins us every single Tuesday. He's Petros Papadakis at Petros and Money, AM 570 Sports in L.A. Talking about the most overrated college programs relative to the attention they get. And we're only talking about basketball and football, men's basketball and football. When I say these five programs, are there any that come to mind for you, Petros, as you think, man, I have to spend so much time talking about these programs, and I know they're never really going to contend for a championship. Number one, Michigan Wolverines. Number two, uh, I've got Georgia Bulldogs. Number three, In Notre basketball? Dame. Both men's basketball and football. It's kind of Who an amorphous. Talks about men's ba- Georgia men's basketball. I mean, That's I'm in why... LA, but I mean, I understand the football part of it, and they just played for the title, for God's sakes. And it's the school of Herschel they've, Walker Clay. They've won one title since World War II. Yeah, that's one... fine, Clay. And titles are really hard to win, but you seem to be under the impression that all of this happens in a vacuum. The reason Michigan football is talked about incessantly is because it's the winningest program of all time. Have you ever heard the Michigan fight song? It's a great song. My wife is a Michigan grad. I but know she is. I Inside don't think the song it says what? Champions of the West. That is how old Michigan is. People thought that was the West. <laughs> I'm not kidding. But I know. It is true. It is true. But it's history. 
history, Clay. That's why we talk about these things. Things change and programs change, but we talk about the history. Like a program like Minnesota, you know, all they have is an oar on the helmet now because of their head coach is a psycho with these weird mantras. I mean, you're not a psycho. I like him, but... They, they totally turn their back on their history for a coach's catchphrase. They have like six national titles in football. What's the matter with you? I don't think you – I think you have to talk about living memory. And to me, basically we're now in an era of living memory. Which... We're in an era of the internet. Everything is available. There is no – living memory is the entire human history on Wikipedia. So you think Michigan, Michigan athletics is underrated? I think Michigan athletics is where it is. I think Fair, you think they're fairly rated. Have you you've been to a game at the Big House, Clay? I haven't actually been to a game at the Big House. Okay. I've been to the well, Big House. My God, who? Did, what about your poor wife? Well, it's football season. Like most of the time, Michigan's yeah. not relevant. Oh, how dare you! But they aren't. They aren't relevant in terms of like when in '06 they played against. Uh, they they played the one versus two game against Ohio State. Uh, a couple of years ago, they had the spot game in Columbus of whether or not Michigan got the stop on fourth down on JT Barrett. But in the last 25 years, how many times has Michigan played a November game and been in contention for a national well, championship? Well, they won a title. In 97. They won yeah, a half they a title. they won a title when they beat Ryan Leaf's team in the Rose Bowl, and I was alive. I was I was uh, 20. That's a living memory. Yeah. A play so against I, those teams. I think three times in the last 25 years in November, they've been in the mix to win a title, and they won a half a title against Nebraska. I mean, it, it, under the basis of, of your argument, you could almost dismiss the entire West Coast. There and is, that I hurts. Mean, <laughs> it is painful, I know, because, I mean, is there much discussion about this on the West Coast? The fact that the NCAA tournament, which obviously is – you know, our national discussion for about a month. You know, we really care for about a month about college basketball, maybe six weeks if you want to expand it. But Arizona and the Bibby, Bibby and Miles Simon is the last team to win a title from the West Coast, from the Pac-12, and that was in 1997, which to me doesn't seem that long ago. That's the year I graduated high school, but it, I'm getting old. I mean, that's yeah. over a generation now. And yeah. Gonzaga obviously has, I think, kind of grabbed the mantle of becoming the best team on the West Coast consistently. But the Zags lost last year to UNC in the title game. I mean, is there much discussion about this uh, This basically generation of futility for West Coast basketball fans? Futility? I mean, there's been a lot of Final Fours. Ben Howland went twice. Gonzaga, Oregon was in the Final Four last year. You lest ye forget, Clay. But you're right. You know, there hasn't been, like, you You seem to think that winning the championship is everything. Most people think just getting to the Final Four is sort of it, I think. It is it is true, but, I mean, it is different. Like, I'm not sure what's going to happen in college football, but it doesn't seem like college football fans brag about getting to the Final Four of the playoff, right? Like teams brag about getting no, to the Final Four for like college No, because it's not like a 900-team tournament, Clay. But you're angry this morning. Uh, I don't like the topic. <laughs> Did you I'm watch the game angry, last night? But, but the West Coast doesn't have a lot of hope to contend for a championship in either sport for quite some time. So maybe that's why I'm mad. And I also don't have a beach house. I did buy a beach house. And you know what's tough about the beach house? You're having a hard time furnishing it. 
Yeah, it is. And 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 the truth of the matter is, uh, I, I was out. I'm shopping for artwork now. And I feel like oh, once God. you start legitimately shopping for artwork, you start to question a lot of the things that are going on in your life. Because my wife is like, I want the motif of the beach house to be green. And I'm like, I don't understand. She's like, well, I think blue, like aqua blue, has become overdone. So our motif is going to be green. And I said... I don't even know what a motif is. The idea that we would have a motif for a for a design is blowing my mind. Does your home have a a, a, a motif? May I uh, interrupt this whole conversation and just say that I think it's important to let the woman, no matter what house you live in, or where you are, or if it's an apartment or a very wealthy man's beach house which I have a hard time relating to, it's always best to just let the woman do what she wants and not argue with her. And I do know what a motif is. And I think the house I bought had a motif when I bought it. What was the motif? Some Zen master built it. <laughs> you, did, flowing did, did the air and bamboo. It, did, the, <laughs> did the flowing air and bamboo, bamboo make you more likely to buy it? Yes. You were seduced by it. My wife was. Yes. And did I'm you not maintain... seduced by anything that my wife's not seduced by when it comes to spending more than $25 on anything. Did you maintain the motif of bamboo and open air when you bought the place? Correct, yes. It would have cost too much to, to, to change it. All right, so... like, do Would you, you feel... ask me about Mora and Rosen? Do you so feel more relaxed... Yoga? When you walk in, like the, like you're like Peter Pan, like blowing into a uh, into a. By the way, I don't know if you watched the game last night, but one of the funniest things I saw. Do you remember the Villanova flute player who was crying? Yes, I remember her. She's still on the team, and she was the happy flute player. They put side by side photos of her uh, this year with uh, with the Villanova. Uh, I heard win. you criticizing the in game production on Twitter last night. It was so awful. It's good to. It's good to see you coming around the other side with a compliment, Clay. It was awful that they cut away from the only most entertaining thing that happened in the second half, which was the double technical fouls, the near like shoving match and everything else, so they could go to break. TBS and CBS blew it. All right, so Jim Mora, you want to talk about all the drama going on in the city of Los Angeles. Well, it's the only thing that I actually know about. I don't know about your green motif and your beach house in Rosemary Beach. And you brought up the Riviera. beach house. Not me. You what? brought it up. That's what I'm saying. It's the only thing I know about. You don't even, uh, I mean, you're not even aware. All right. I am aware. We talked about it already. Here we go. Jim Mora tweeted out, along with the previous video, I'm hopeful this will put oh, an end to the stop. false He's narrative. Backpedaling and talking and yeah. explaining for, for like the last two days. I don't think you're allowed to create the narrative and then call it a false narrative. Like, you are the reason the narrative exists. He says now, I believe Josh Rosen is not only the best quarterback in the draft, but also the best player in the draft. Also, he said he's a tender lover uh, and uh, the greatest human being he's ever met. Uh, He closes by saying, I've been clear, consistent, and only complimentary towards this good man. And then he tags at Josh Rosen on Twitter. This is absurd, this story, this this cavalcade of ridiculousness, but it's clear Jim Mora doesn't love uh, Josh Rosen. Am I crazy for believing that? I am a uh, lumberjack-style lover, if anybody wants to know. <laughs> like, I haven't you seen have a woman in three you, months, you, you know, you have I'm sex in the with woods like a... and eating pancakes-style <laughs> lover. 
I'm thinking of you having sex only in a uh, like red and checkered shirt with an axe on your shoulder. Think of me laboring over you. Yes. With a beard. Tender menstruations. Anyway, uh, the point is this. And this is all you need to know, Clay. All you need to know. The two highest performing players and the two recruits and people he seemed closest to when he was coaching at UCLA were Miles Jack and Josh Rosen. And it seems like he burned both of those bridges. I know he did with Miles Jack. What did he do with Miles Jack? Miles Jack came out early because he had a knee problem and he didn't want to risk it anymore in college. He wanted to get paid to play, which is very, very logical. And Jim Mora went on TV and said there's not enough tape on the kid. Yeah, I remember that, actually. Which was asinine. It really was. And Miles Jack obviously was drafted and is a high performer in the NFL. And uh, and this Josh Rosen thing is, is more complex and weirder, but similar in a way, because he's made the story about him twice. I mean, it wasn't about him. Uh, it's never about a, a coach when a player is going to be a top five pick. And all the coaches fall in line and say what they have to say. It's part of the recruiting process. So Mora is almost, in this regard, breaking a promise that he made in the living room to Rosen's parents, divorced parents who are both independently wealthy, uh, that he made back then. You know, which is, I'm going to support Josh all the way through. And everybody wants to be the number one pick. It doesn't matter if Cabell is picking number one this year. Everybody, we, you want to be the number one pick if you're that close. You want that uh, unless you're Elway or, or, or Eli Manning, you want that mantle. And even by the weird way that Morris said it, what he said was jaw-dropping, just like Peter King said. And uh, no amount of explaining is going to change that. Also, Clay, as you know, he's trying to get a job, you know, with the NFL Network or, or somewhere else uh, talking about football because he, he didn't get a job in coaching this year. And I'm with you. I mean, I just see it as a incredibly disloyal thing to say. If you are the coach, like you said, you've been promising, you made all these all these pitches to the uh, the family that you're going to take care of this guy. He's highly recruited. Josh Rosen can go a lot of different places. And to me, when you say that you think not only that uh, that Rosen, you said Sam Darnold's teammates would love him, that you think he belongs in Cleveland, all those things. It's just so tone deaf of Jim Mora that I think there has to be some acrimony between he and Rosen in their relationship. Oh, there's no doubt. And all, even before that, you know, all the tweets about, you know, I love my coach. He brought me cake and we, we live in the same town and I'm friendly with his daughter. You know, all that stuff was, was a little Ophelia-esque, you know, protesting way too much. And uh, it just seemed phony. And this is, uh, this is further evidence of that. I just think it's really interesting that twice when uh, Morris had high-profile players in the draft, uh, he's, he's hurt those guys. Basically. No, that is, that is fascinating. What is the play in L.A. for people who know UCLA and USC both well? Obviously, this is like a level that we haven't seen before. Rodney Pete and Troy Aikman happened at SC and UCLA in terms of being top quarterbacks, but we've never had like a duel over who's going to be the overall number one pick. Are most UCLA fans on Rosen's side here, siding with the idea that the coach has an obligation to not throw his quarterback under the bus during the evaluation process? Well, you know, a lot of them are, don't let the door hit you in the ass on the way out of UCLA. 
because Chip Kelly's there and innovating and getting his team groomed for the future, and it's really nothing to do with the quarterback, right? <laughs> not, not a Chip Kelly team unless Mariota is the quarterback. So uh, it, it's kind of interesting. I think Bruin fans are probably split on it because Bruin fans are probably split on Rosen and Mora. I mean, let's not forget, Rosen didn't play a whole bunch. You know, He didn't finish any of the years, I think. Maybe, no, he did. He finished his freshman year. But he didn't finish his sophomore or junior year. He got hurt. You know, remember that three-and-a-half-week concussion farce that he pulled on the world uh, during the bowl game this year? I mean, uh, both the guys are, are, are pretty weird, and they appear that way publicly. And to have them in this weird, you know, kind of, I don't know, it's sort of like a pseudo-Mexican showdown without weapons. <laughs> I, just, I don't really understand what's happening, but you're right. There's acrimony behind it. Petros Papadakis, go knock out the, uh, the the yoga and thank your wife for having such great taste when it comes to motifs. Listen, a mint green motif a la Virgin Suicides, uh, Sophia Coppola's movie down there yeah. in Florida. I think your wife's on the right track. You tell her I said go blue. She's crushed. I'm not going to lie. She broke out the sweatsuit from the 1990s when she was at Michigan, her dance team sweatsuit, and just sat there, tears streaming down her face. Not really, but sat there in her sweatsuit, real life, watching her team get their ass kicked. Thank God you're in the beach house. We're not in the beach house right now. We're back in Nashville. Thank God you're in the mansion. <laughs> Thank God for Petros Papadakis, AM570 Sports. Oh, 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 O'Reilly. Are your wiper blades chattering, skipping, or squeaking? Don't let streaks or smearing on your windshield compromise your visibility. When it's time to replace your wiper blades, stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts and see our selection. Our professional parts people will even install your new wiper blades while you wait. Stop by O'Reilly Auto Parts today. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts. At Bet365, we don't do ordinary. We believe that every sport should be epic. Every home run, every hit, every inning, every play. From the moments that are legendary to the ones that fly under the radar. Whether it's a walk-off grand slam or a base hit to center field. Whatever the sport, whatever the moment, it's never ordinary at Pet365. 21 plus only must be present in Ohio. If you or someone you know has a gambling problem and wants help, call 1-800-GAMBLER. From BBC Radio 4, Britain's biggest paranormal podcast is going on a road trip. I thought in that moment, oh my God, we've summoned something from this board. This is Uncanny USA. He says, somebody's in the house, and I screamed. Listen to Uncanny USA wherever you get your BBC podcasts. If you dare. Hey, it's Jonas Knox. All right, game off. we got to pause here to talk more about Monopoly Go. I know what you're saying, flag on the play. You already talked about that, but there's just so much good stuff in this game. In Monopoly Go, you can team up with friends for time tournaments where you work together to build up each other's boards. The more you win together, the more awesome prizes you unlock. And there's so much to get. Unique stickers you can trade with friends to complete albums for big prizes. Cool new playing pieces to travel the boards with. Hilarious emojis for taunting friends when 
you smash their buildings or heist their vaults. Plus, Monopoly Go feels new and exciting every day with constantly changing tournaments and challenges. A ton include their new unique mini games like Digging for Treasure or a robot pachinko machine. And there's always new timed events that help you win big like massive multipliers for everything you win or rent frenzies. There's always something fun to discover in Monopoly Go, so get off the bench and go download it now free on Google Play or the App Store. Game on!